0: Amen and amen. Go ahead and be seated. I'm excited. Today is uh, actually our Team World Vision Launch Sunday. For those of you who've been around our church for a few years, you know that every year uh, we put together a marathon, walk, or race team to walk or run to uh, raise money for clean water in Africa. And as an evangelical covenant church, we actually have an unprecedented partnership with the Covenant Church in Congo and World Vision, where all of the money that we were able to raise through uh, the Team World Vision uh, fundraising um process can go directly to the Covenant Church in Congo to help uh, the ministry that we've been doing there for over 60 years as a Covenant Church in Africa. So it's a wonderful partnership, and I'm also excited to introduce to you today some new friends. Uh, First, I want to introduce Jody McDaniel. Maybe you could just stand up real quick and wave. She is our uh, new regional uh, rep for World Vision here. So thank you, Jody, for being a part of our team. And she has uh, graciously uh, offered to sacrifice her husband Chad <laughs> to bring the message for us today. And interestingly, Chad is actually a covenant pastor who's now also working for World Vision, and they've brought their whole family to worship with us. So welcome. Chad, come and uh, bring God's word to us today and tell us more about this whole team world vision thing.
1: We'll do. We'll do.: I think maybe kids are.: supposed Oh yeah, to supposed uh, kids. I, don't know. I mean, they can hang, too. You, you can know? hang.
0: Uh, kids are released. Your leaders are in the back. Uh, we also have our family room. If you want to go across the lobby, we live stream the service into the family room and the rockaby room. So make yourselves at home and enjoy your kids' worship time.
1: Love it. Well, thank you so much for having me this morning at Faith Covenant. Uh, I was a covenant pastor for almost 20 years, serving uh, Mount Vernon, Washington at Bethany Covenant for 10 of those. So there's some familiar faces here this morning, which is a lot of fun uh, to show up and see Brad and say, wait a second, I know this guy. I know him from another lifetime. So very fun to be with you, uh, with you all this morning. I also had a chance uh, to visit Congo in 2019. Um, I used to serve on a, an advisory board for the Covenant with our connection with World Vision and the Congolese Covenant Church. And so I've got stories galore for another time Uh, The work, though, I will say this, I've seen it with my own eyes. It is incredible, the life change that is happening, the holistic ministry of missionaries of the Covenant Church going and doing medical missions, planting churches, and now this incredible partnership with World Vision that's 10 years strong now, where we're seeing holistic life change. From From the lips of one of our Congolese pastors, he said to us, the small team that was there back in 2019, He said, originally, when you all came, you did the the amazing, the important work of spiritual formation with us. And now we have all these covenant churches across Northwest Congo. And in fact, the Congolese covenant church is bigger than us in America. It's grown that fast, that rapidly. God is good. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And he said, he said, I want, to, I want to give you, like, praise you for that work that you all did, the faithfulness in answering God's call, coming here, sharing the gospel with us. But now, through this partnership with World Vision, you are doing holistic kingdom work because you're answering the physical needs of people as well. And we're not just saying, like, hey, it's great that you know Jesus, but your life is really, really hard without access to clean water. No, now you're doing holistic ministry and people are getting access to clean water and there's healthcare facilities and education and on and on. I could tell you stories galore, but that is not what my sermon was all about. But because you mentioned it, I thought, my goodness, I can't leave that out. Okay, back to the sermon and then we'll get to the text. We're gonna be in 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm gonna get there in a minute, but first I wanna tell you a personal story. So last September, I did a pretty wild thing. Last September of 2022, I did an Ironman triathlon. Okay, so an Ironman triathlon is a uh, 2.4-mile swim followed by a 112-mile bike. And if that wasn't enough, then you just get to run a marathon at the end. It's really fun. It's a fun little thing that they let you do at the end of an Ironman triathlon. The question I asked myself multiple times throughout this event, because the day was not ideal, (laughs) Uh, We showed up in Madison, Wisconsin. It was like 75 degrees. It was beautiful, beautiful fall days. And we started looking at the forecast and that day of the Ironman, it was 52 degrees. It rained the entire day, entire day, 15 to 20 mile an hour wind gusts. It was just a brutal day. We had a Team World Vision. We had about five or six members that completely, they had to drop out. One guy, his body temperature went down to 94 degrees. We had people that could no longer grip the brakes on the bike, so they had to get off the bike. Throughout the course of that day, I asked myself a question. Why are you doing this? I mean, there's nobody in the end. Nobody was saying, like, it's not like I had a gun to my head and somebody said, you have to do this or else. I chose to freely do this. But I asked myself over and over again, why are you doing this? As I was bitterly cold, as my back was seizing up on the bike, as I was walking and running and trying to move, as it got darker and darker and the wind picked up and it was very lonely because there's not a lot of spectators when the weather is like that. (laughs) Nobody's out there like, yeah, you're doing it. They're like, yeah, I mean, you guys are idiots. You signed up for this and we're going to be in our house having a good time. It was a rough day. So how did I get there? I want to come back to that story in a minute. But I think that this this question of what are you doing here, how do we get to these places in our life, is a story or is a question that actually we can find in Scripture. That's where I want to take you right now, to 1 Kings 19, story of Elijah, one of my favorite stories in Scripture. So Elijah has ended up in this cave. If you want to pick it up in uh, 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 9, it says, There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. What are you doing here? Elijah. I'm going to give you a backstory in a second, but God asks him, what are you doing here in this cave? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Those of you familiar with the story, a great and powerful wind tore the mountains and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Some texts say like a still, small voice. I always get that sense. That it's the kind of thing that's impossible to describe, but it's the thing that you know that makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up we are like, what was that? You can't describe it. You don't know what it is, but you know something just happened. Something spiritual, something mysterious just happened that's difficult to put into words. It says when Elijah heard this, this is verse 13, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave and the voice said to him again, what are you doing here? Elijah, powerful question. He replied, once again, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. You heard this before, right? Torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. I want to finish right there. We're going to get to the end of the text a little bit later, but let's just sit right there with that. The question is for Elijah, there's this question of, what are you doing here? Which implies to me in the text that that's not where he belongs, He's not supposed to be there. What are you doing here, Elijah? How did you get to this place? If we back up a little bit and go back to 1 Kings chapter 18, we can pick up the story of Elijah and see how did he end up here. And it's it's a strange story because if you go back to 1 Kings 18, Elijah's riding high. Elijah, who has been running from Jezebel, who is the, the king, uh, Ahab's wife, he's been running, he's been on the run, he's been battling these false prophets. He, he's just, he's, it's not been a great story until chapter 18. There's this epic showdown. This epic showdown where finally Elijah says, I'm going to prove to you that Yahweh is the one and only God of the whole world. So listen, King Ahab, listen, Jezebel, get together all these false prophets. And there's something like, I think the text says, 450 prophets of Baal and another 400 uh, prophets of this, uh, and priests of this other God, Asherah, and they all show up on this mountain. So gather them all together and we're gonna see who the real God is. We're gonna have an epic showdown, it's time. Okay, enough is enough. So they all get together, they agree to this, and the, the whole scene breaks out and they get together and, and Elijah says, you guys go first. I'm going to give you the first crack at this. Let's build up a big old altar and, and let's just, you go crazy and you see if your God will come and burn up the offering on that altar. I mean, you guys have all these gods and there's 800 something priests. Of course, those guys are going to show up and help you out, right? Go for it. And the scene, the way he descri- the text describes it, these guys are dancing and they're singing and it gets to a place where they're cutting themselves Because it's not working. It's not working. Their gods are not showing up. And they're cutting themselves and they're dancing and they're doing all these gestures and things to try to manipulate their gods into showing up. And then the way the scene unfolds, it's like Elijah calmly in the midst of all of that says, now it's my turn. He says, in fact, just pour water over the whole thing. Just douse it with, drench it. Drench it. And he steps back. And he calls on Yahweh, and Yahweh burns up the altar and shows that he is the one true God. I mean, this scene, when you read it, is so tense and powerful. And you're like, Elijah is the man. He has done it. He has proven that God is God alone. He has won the day. And there's this, like, fervor that breaks out, and all of the people... um, Eradicate, do away. I don't know what the nice way of saying they put to death all these false prophets who have been leading all the people astray. And Elijah, he's the winner. He crossed the finish line. He's the guy. It's like when I crossed that finish line, they said, Chad McDaniel, you are an Iron Man. I felt terrible. It was (laughs) 15 and a half hours is how long it took. I mean, it felt terrible. I could barely move. And it's like, but you hear that and it's everything. That's this moment for Elijah. He has won. God has won. Elijah is vindicated. Every bad thing they said about him, it's all out the window. He is the winner. So how does he end up in that cave? Well, right after this scene, when you think that he has won the day, it turns out that Jezebel and people in power, they don't like to lose. And so people in power, Jezebel, she says, Elijah's got to go. And puts a death warrant out for Elijah. And so now he's running. He's running. Right after he wins, he's fleeing, he's running. In fact, the text in chapter 18, he sits under a tree, or there in 19 in the early verses, he sits under a tree and he just says, God, like, I'm done. Like, you just take me now, I'm done. I've had enough. If you, if you, can you picture these moments in life where you've, you've been on that high? That high where you're like, I am winning right now. And then something happens, it could be a little thing. It could be a big thing in life, it could be a diagnosis of a loved one. It could be a relationship that falls apart. It could be job loss. There's a number of things that could happen. It could be even something much smaller than those things that takes you from that high and starts knocking you down very, very quickly. I don't know about you, but I can relate to Elijah where I've had those highs in life, and then you're feeling like nobody can stop me. I'm on top of the world. God, you are so good. You are so near me. And then in a moment, it just feels like you find yourself kind of going like, where are you at now, God? What have you done for me lately? I don't know if you can relate at all. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But Elijah ends up in this cave. He ends up in this cave, and he's asked by God two different times. And I think this question, I want to just, if nothing else this morning, I would love for you to walk away from here thinking about this question. What are you doing here? What are you doing with this One life that God has given you this opportunity to make an impact on this world with your unique gifts, your unique talents, all the uniqueness of you, the place God has put you in, the relationships you have. What are you doing here? Now, for Elijah, he's in this cave and he's asked, "What, What are you doing here? And if you caught it in the text, he says the same thing twice. God has to ask him twice, which feels a little bit painful in the text? I don't know. A little painful there. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah has this script that he kind of goes through, right? I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. You can just try to put yourself in his shoes a little bit. I've been zealous. I'm passionate, God. I've done so much for you. But it's these people, these Israelites, they out there, they have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and that's this last line every time I come to this text. It's this last line that really gets me. If you try to put yourself in his shoes and try to empathize and maybe you start to see yourself in Elijah a little bit and you say, I am the only one left. I'm the only one left. And they're trying to kill me too. And I mean, you just think about this with Elijah, what he just experienced. Like, don't you see my passion, God? Don't you see what I was willing to do for you? I stood up in front of all these people, like, "I did this incredible thing. I proved that you are the God, the only God, the true God. I did it all for you. And now what? They're still trying to kill me. So what's the point? And I'm the only one left. I'm the only one. I mean, maybe you can relate this sense of like, I, I've done everything that you've asked of me. I've done it all. I put in the time. I put in the work, I, I faithfully go to church, I've been faithful to my friends, my family. Don't you see the things I've done for you, God? Don't you see and maybe it feels sometimes like you're all alone? Maybe you're in a place of work where you're like the, you feel like you're the only Christian, the only one who lives his or her life a certain way, and the people around you, they just don't get you. You feel like, I'm kind of alone here. I'm alone in this. I spent the last year working uh, in corporate America. It was a very interesting season of life. Interesting is always an interesting word choice, but it was an interesting season of life because I, I, the company I worked for was, I had a friend who invited me in and, and he knew that I was a pastor and he, he actually wanted me to come and bring those pastoral gifts to the people at that workplace. But there interesting things you run into culturally as you work in a place that's not a Christian place. And the Christians who worked there would often, amongst themselves and amongst ourselves, kind of talk like, what, how do we faithfully live out who we are and what we believe in in this place? And so you get to that feeling of like, I'm the only one left. Am I the only one left? Am I the only one? Maybe you can relate. But you, you can ask yourself that question, that question that Elijah was asked, what are you doing in that place? What are you doing there? How did God put you there? How did you end up in that situation? Maybe for some of you in your families, you're looking at your families and, and, and you see kids and grandkids who are not following Christ and it breaks your heart and you don't know what to do with that. And you go, How, how did we get here? How did we get here? And it's a moment to pray through that and you're feeling like, I'm the only one left. I get to pray through that and ask God, like, what are you still doing, God? What are you still doing in me? What are you still doing in writing my family's story? How did we get here, God? Some of you, maybe it's in thinking about, a, I remember when I was a pastor and thinking about folks volunteering in the church who are like, I, I, I'm, I'm so faithful. I'm showing up. I'm, I'm changing diapers in the nursery. Praise God for folks who change diapers in the nursery, and this, maybe for some of you, it's, it's your faithfulness in your family. I, I do the finances. I get the oil. Some of these like mundane things are like, I get the oil changed. I, am, I do that for us. Don't you see that? Come on. Like, you know what I'm saying, right? There's these small things where we're like, don't you see my faithfulness in my family, in my relationships, in my work, in my faith? And we start to get into this place like Elijah where we have this kind of wash, rinse, repeat excuses and tape the story that we tell about ourselves. I had a friend from World Vision who is also a former covenant pastor. We were talking recently about some of our, our journey through pastoral ministry, and he said that you come to a part in your life, and I, I thought this was a huge question. Not on my notes just came to me, but this question of what is the story you tell yourself when you wake up in the morning? You think about that ever? Do you have that? Like Elijah has this almost like tape he's been playing over and over and over. When I get the chance to talk to God and tell him about it, this is the tape I'm gonna play. Haven't you seen my passion? Haven't you seen everything I did? All of those people, they did the bad things. The Israelites did it. They're no good. I'm really great. They're no good. And now I'm all alone. And it's like he has that tape rehearsed. Because he's asked twice. It's a little painful that second time. It's like a slap in the face. No, seriously, Elijah, what are you doing here? And that's even after, okay, just even after the second time is after God shows up in a powerful way where he has this like hair on the neck, back of the neck moment, there's the earthquake, there's the fire, and you would think that would snap him out of it, right? I would hope that would snap me out of it if I was having like down in the dumps and like God was like, hey man, listen, Chad, walk outside, I'm about to show up. And then God showed up, I would think, I would hope at least that maybe then I would be like, okay, God, I see that you're here. I got it. Okay, enough said. But for Elijah, he's like, got this tape going. Great. God showed up. He's had enough. And God says, what are you doing here? And he wash, rinse, repeat. It's the same thing. The same thing. I'm so zealous. All of these people have left you, God. Those people, those bad people. And I'm now All alone. So, what are you doing here? It's the invitation for Elijah. I think it's the invitation for us. What are you doing here, January 8th, 2023? What are you doing here? What are we doing here? How did this happen? Is this just an accident that we are here in this room together? We made choices that ended up getting us to this place. But I also feel as though we have to admit that God is working in some way behind the scenes, to bring us to this moment in time where we are here together and digging into this question, what are you doing here? The reality is, as I mentioned earlier, each and every one of us, we have unique gifts that God has given us. Ephesians 2.10 talks about this, talks about the fact that there are good works prepared in advance for us to do. When I think of that text, I think about the fact that there are things that text is saying that only you can do in this world, that only you get to do because of your unique relationships, your unique personality, the gifting that God has given you. There are some things in this world that only you can accomplish for God that I can't do. I mean, some of you are probably saying, when I said I did an Iron Man, you're like, never. I would never do that. That's for you to do, crazy person. I had that same thought a number of years ago. Marathons and Ironmans and all those are for crazy people. And so you have to ask yourself a question like, how did I get to that place? Because it's easy. It's easy to forget very quickly that God is alive, God is active, God is moving. It's easy to get bogged down by the things in the world, all the arrows that feel like they're pointing at us and start to play that tape. I'm the only one left there's not very many of us left. Isn't it easy to play that tape when you start to maybe look at what's going on in culture or you look at what's going on in the media? And we like to play that tape to a certain degree. We're the only ones left. Woe is me. No one is faithful. American Christianity is going down the tubes. What is wrong with us? Well, we we can just like get together and do that, can't we? I remember, I'll just say this bluntly. When I was a pastor, there was whole Bible studies that that's what they did sat in a little group and it's like the church is going down the tubes and none of our friends love Jesus anymore and the whole culture is a mess and we start to get like we're playing that tape like Elijah like how did we get here how did we get to this place how do we get there now there's something for Elijah I said I'd get to the end I want to get to the end and then I want to give you an invitation this morning at the end of the text after Elijah does this thing twice if you go to verse 15 the Lord says to Elijah he gives him a new mission if you will Sometimes that's what we need to get out of that place. We need that kind of slap in the face, that kind of kick in the pants, like it's time, okay, you've wallowed enough. It's time to go. It's time to get back on mission. I mean, it's time to get back going. The Lord says to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. He starts giving him these tasks. Also, anoint Jehu. He's like, I've got these other leaders. They're ready to go, buddy. You're not the only one. I've got these other people that I've been preparing. Don't worry, I got gotcha. you. I'm God after all. I'm not, I'm not God, but that's what God is saying to him. He says, uh, so, so anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat. Uh, Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. Elijah will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. And then he says this, and I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, whose mouths have not kissed him. He says, by the way, you're not alone. You're not all alone. There's this guy, Elisha. I've been preparing him for years. You've been kind of mentoring him. Did you forget about him? I've got these other kings, these leaders who have not bowed down to these false gods. They're ready to go. And guess what, buddy? There's another 7,000 who are faithful and they've got your back and we're ready to start a movement here. Do you want to be a part of it or not, Elijah? Do you want to be a part of it or not? Which all brings me back to that iron man and an invitation to you. Me saying yes to that Iron Man, if I ask myself, how did I get there? Why was I doing it? For me, it was all about moving my feet for the most vulnerable people in the world. At any moment, I could say, no, I don't wanna do this. I can choose at any moment to say, I'm done. I'm hopping off the bike, I'm calling it quits, I'm done. At any moment, I have that power. I have that ability to do that. But when I remember what I've seen with my own eyes in Congo, What I've seen with my own eyes in Malawi, women and children who are, who are literally dying because they don't have access to clean water, and I'm going to say, like, because of a little discomfort, I'm going to quit. When I've seen what I've seen, it motivates me. It's my why. It's my purpose to say, if I can do a small thing by moving my feet to end the walk that someone else is doing, the dangerous walk, for water, that could kill them then I need to keep doing this. I have no excuse. I have no excuse. And I need to remember, like Elijah, that there's thousands of others across the U.S. who are joining me in this Team World Vision family, moving their feet for clean water. I'm not alone. I'm not alone out there. There's those of us who show up in these obnoxious orange gray jerseys, whatever they are, and we go out there together and we say we're moving our feet one step at a time, a baby step at a time to end the water walk for those who don't have a choice. Don't have a choice, but to deal with what they have. And we can end that for them, then here I am, I'm saying yes. And that yes for me started in 2017. I was a pastor in Simi Valley, California the World Vision representative, Richard Relliford, Rich Rell, as we call him, uh, short, short, uh, kind of, I'm not short, he's like my high African-American man, played college football, and man, when he gets in a room, you just say yes, everybody says yes. If he was here this morning, everybody would say yes. He'd be like, all right, what do we do? We got to start running tomorrow. We went to this uh, kind of nasty taco shop in the San Fernando Valley, and uh, he says to me, Chad, do you want to run a marathon? I didn't know what I was doing there with this guy. I thought we were just going to talk about child sponsorship, which I'm all about. I'm all for it. We had sponsored children. We've done that in our churches. And he's like, yeah, 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 we'll do that sometime. But do you want to run a marathon? And I don't know why, but I said yes. <laughs> and it was one of those moments. It's like, how did I get here? What are you doing here, Chad? How did, we, how did God orchestrate this moment where Rich Rel and I are sitting there and he's saying, do you need a challenge? And the truth was I needed a challenge personally in my life. And I needed something to help kickstart my congregation, too. I was in a congregation that, uh, in, in the late 1990s, had been 1,000 people. And when I showed up in 2016, there were 150. And there was a story there of losing kind of an outward focus and losing a focus of mission and losing an opportunity to invite people into what God was doing. And World Vision started checking all those boxes, Team World Vision where we were able to say, hey, do you want to join us in doing something for the least of these that will also transform your life? And people started saying yes. And in that tiny congregation, well, I mean, relatively tiny congregation compared to what they had been, we had 30 people who said yes. And some of those 30 were were folks that I would say were in later years of life that I actually wanted to talk them out of it. Because I was like, I don't know if you should be doing this. And they were like, how dare you, pastor, tell me I'm not doing this. And they started doing some walks together. There was a group of ladies that started walking together. And they s- slowly started to then like, we can run a minute and walk two minutes. And then we can flip that. And you started seeing lives change. We started to see people invite their uh, uh, friends who were not Christians to join us. We had one young woman named Milana whose boyfriend invited her because she just liked to run. She was one of those few crazy people in the world that actually likes to run. And she said, yes, she joined the team. And through the course of it, through doing group runs with us and getting to know other people in the church, she gave her life to Christ at the end. One of the things she said, which I will never forget in my entire life, she said, before joining this team, I did not know Christians cared about anybody but themselves. Ouch. So I just thought this church was like my boyfriend's church. His little friends and family go there. And I didn't realize that you all were interested in inviting others to see what Jesus was doing. And I didn't know that you were interested in making an impact on the least of these in the world, the most vulnerable people. And so Team World Vision started changing my life and changing the lens through which I saw the world and ministry. And I served a church in Colorado, and we had, we had a young man named Andy who joined it, and he went on a whole weight loss journey. It was a very personal weight loss journey for him in joining the team. He became our captain of our team. We have stories around the U.S. of Henry, who was 86, who ran the L.A. Marathon this last year. Of Karen, a schoolteacher in Chicago. She said, prior to running with you all, I had, be, I had picked up these labels in my life. Divorced, messy, scatterbrained. But she said, now, after finishing this race, I consider myself disciplined, committed, runner. And then she's a schoolteacher, and she ran... A, if you hit a certain fundraising level, you get these obnoxious orange capes. And she chose to run Chicago Marathon with that orange cape. And her students saw the picture and they said, not only are you all those other things, but here's a new label for you, superhero. And her life was changed. So what I wanna invite you into to some of you today is as you think about what am I doing here? How did I show up this Sunday with this crazy guy in the orange jersey who's talking about what is going on here? Some of you, I want to invite you to consider running the Tacoma City Half or Full Marathon with us April 30th. It's that small yes that will change your life forever. It might not end up with you doing an Ironman, don't worry. A very small percentage of us do that. But, but there's, there's a sense of answering God's call and saying yes to something scary that might change your life physically, emotionally, spiritually, and begin to change the lives of others as you tell your story of why you're doing it, and you invite others in, and then as you raise funds to impact those around the world. The reality is for our team that 80% of our runners have never run a 5K before. Like my wife here, when she first said yes to running the LA Marathon, had never run a 5K. Maybe you say, that's crazy it's fine. We have an amazing couch to finish training plan and you're not too late. You can still join and you can get started right now. So we want to invite you into this life-changing ministry. I'm going to finish just by saying uh, a few things here for all of you though. That, that's something that some of us, as you, as you sit and ruminate on this question, what am I doing here? What are you doing here? If you imagine God asking you that question, what kind of impact are you having on this world, and the people around you? What are you doing here? For some of you this morning, I would invite you to respond by saying, I want to know more about joining Team World Vision. You can meet us up here on this side after the service, and we'll tell you more how to join the team. For others of you, maybe there's some, some other way in your life. I know there's going to be a sponsorship ask in a, in a few weeks through an incredible uh, new way of doing sponsorship called Chosen. That's just a teaser, not going to say any more. But there's an opportunity for each and every one of us to make a lasting impact on this world when we answer that question, what are you doing here? Imagine that God is asking you that question. What are you doing here? Let's pray as we continue to think about that question and continue to worship together. Would you pray with me? God, in this moment, we are... Joined together by your spirit. We're joined together as brothers and sisters who call on the name of Jesus. Lord, we're joined together as your people, called out. Lord, called out by you to make an impact on this world, to love you and to love others. God, as we imagine that you are saying, that question to us, what are you doing here? And then insert your name, insert my name at the end of that sentence. We trust God that your Holy Spirit can give us answers to that question, can send us out on mission. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in the room who are in a place where they are, like Elijah who was under very real threat in that moment. Lord, we know that there are folks in this room who are struggling Maybe silently, maybe their struggle is known, their challenges are known. Lord, I pray for them that you administer to them. Surround them with people who can love them, support them, pray for them. And Lord, for those of us who are just looking for what is that step where like Elijah needed that missional call, God, would you make that clear to us? What do you want us to do next, Lord? What is that ministry opportunity? Is it Team World Vision, God? Is there another opportunity with a coworker, a neighbor, a classmate, a family member? Is there an opportunity for us, Lord, to represent you in those spaces, with those people, in a way that we have been afraid of, shied away from? Lord, empower us by your spirit, that it's not us who has to just do it alone but empower us by your spirit to do the work you prepared for us to do. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.